Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. It's hour number two of our show. At noon, Craig Mish, Joe Pizzapia on the East Coast. Of course, we are Sports Grid. We got you till one o'clock on the East as well. Coming up a little bit later, it is the MLB Draft. Joe and I will have a preview of that and a recap coming up tomorrow. Joe, are you uh, psyched up tonight for the uh, MLB Draft? I am. I enjoy it. As, As I tell you always every year, I always like to watch the preview where you get to see all the raw footage before the picks are made and you can start to make some evaluations in your head. And then obviously you can go on YouTube and check out all the highlights of the guys. And I kind of do the same thing with NFL. It's like after the season's over, I always try to go and look at all the highlight things before we start writing up black books so I can see with my own eyes. And, you know, I try not to read too many of the profiles because I like to kind of get my own opinion first. And then I'll go and there's some really great prospect people out there. I know on Diamond Bets uh, this weekend, we have uh, the Welsh from Prospect One and the Blackwood podcast and in this league, he's going to be joining us to kind of break down some of these guys from a fantasy value, where they go, what the ETA is and all that as well. Uh, and also Eric Cross over on Fantrax, who also writes the prospects in the Black Book. Uh, he does a fantastic job. So those are two guys that I am always, always looking to for insight to the prospects because one of them sees all the guys in the Cape Cod and some other spots because he lives in Boston area and the other guys out there in Arizona. So he sees all the AFL players and he's seen a lot of Spencer Torkelson as well. So he's seen a ton of him uh, up close and personal in Arizona. So uh, that's been a really good conversation to have. So check that out on Dynabets on Sunday. All right. You could check that out with uh, Joe Pizzapia this weekend here on SportsGrid as we dive back into the FanDuel Sportsbook. We're going to take a look at probably one of the more interesting wide receivers from a rookie perspective in fantasy in 2020. And today we're focused in on Justin Jefferson of the Minnesota Vikings and formerly of the LSU Tigers. So let's take a look at his total for 2020. FanDuel has his number at 725 and a half, minus 112 to win 100. And if you go back and you look at his term with LSU, 2017 is more or less, more or less irrelevant. He didn't play much. But 2019, you see the numbers there are pretty staggering. 1,540 yards. He played in 15 games because LSU uh, was in the playoff and went to the championship. So that's why those two games got tacked on to the end. Uh, but in 2018, you see a stark difference there of only 875 receiving yards in 13 games. And he did play a lot that season. So this is a very tough one because I, I think that a lot of what Jefferson did clearly was tied to the success of Joe Burrow mm-hmm. and all the success that he had with Joe Brady and that offense in 2019 at LSU. If you go back to 2018, the quarterback at LSU was Joe Burrow too. So it's, uh, and and I can understand why some people are a little, you know, not concerned, but don't really know what to expect from Burrow because essentially it's very rare to have the first overall pick in a draft with a guy who basically had one good year. It's very, very tough call with him, but that's kind of how I see Jefferson. I I think Burrow uh, made it a point to get him the ball. He was clearly the number one wide receiver in that offense all season long. They did run the ball a little bit with Edwards Hilaire, but Jefferson was the number one guy in that offense all season long, and he wasn't the year before that. So he goes into a, situ- a situation now in Minnesota where he's clearly not the number one guy. Yeah. He also is not going to have the full complement of reps in the offseason to work with. And, and he's similar to the situation yesterday, I think, that we talked about with Ruggs, and we'll get to Jefferson a little bit more with the touchdowns here. But, man, this is a tough number here for him to reach, I think, 725 receiving yards, not having uh, his weapons at his disposal. Um, who knows who's going to be a running back for the Vikings? I'm just kind of like a pass guy at this point with everything Minnesota. And I would say this. There could be an opportunity here for an over or maybe even build a narrative for an under. But this is just one of those players in particular that I've watched very closely the last couple of years at LSU. I thought he was pretty good. I did not think that he would get drafted as high as he did. So Mm. what are your thoughts on uh, Jefferson? Well, look, you know, we can talk about the Burrow stuff in a second. We'll talk about Jefferson first because you made a lot of good points on that too and brought up a lot of, I think, useful information there for everyone. I think you can absolutely build a narrative for the over here. And it's because out of necessity, because you look at the rest of this wide receiving core, is it going to be Tajay Sharp? I don't know. I doubt it. Uh, but How somebody else this? has to step up. How about up. this? Definitely yeah. not. Don't even okay, bring well, his name go. up. 
Well, I'm you just don't saying. You have to bring his name up anymore. Well, I'm just saying. Like, I'm, I'm looking at the guy's never the done chart. anything. There is no reason to talk about this guy anymore. Never. No, but here, but I mean, the rest of that depth chart. I mean, it's it's really coming down to the fact of if Justin Jefferson has every opportunity to go above this number, and I thought there was a good chance. I remember while this draft was going on, I was on one of the shows we were doing live streaming on it, and I thought this guy has an opportunity at least to be one of the more productive. 2020 wide receivers in the rookie class because there's necessity for it. Now, the problem why this number does scare me, Craig, is because of the inconsistencies of Kirk Cousins. And I think whenever you look at the career of Kirk Cousins, it's just littered with inconsistencies. He's got stretches where he looks like MVP and stretches where it looks like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy is the quarterback. And that is a problem. That that to me is the bigger issue, which is why I don't think you can bet this number. If he was in, the, let's say the Vikings were the Vikings here and there was a job open for the number two wide receiver, but it was another quarterback that I feel better about the consistency level of, like it was Drew Brees or somebody like that. Well, well, that changes everything. But with Kirk Cousins, that's what gives me pause. I think the number is very achievable. I think there's opportunity for the over because I think out of necessity, he might have to get more targets than people realize in this offense. The trouble is I struggle with Kirk Cousins. And you make a great point there about Burrow. You know, he did have that one year. He went from being on no one's radar to the number one overall pick. But for every Peyton Manning, who's the slam dunk number one, there's a Tom Brady. And, you know, there's guys who have come out and have great careers, uh, obviously in the pros, whose college careers, like Joe Montana, a lot of people didn't think much of him at Notre Dame. A lot of people were kind of not sold on Brett Favre. So much of this is getting the right guy in the right system with the right coach and everything clicking on the pro level. So, and to a certain extent, I guess on the college level too. So maybe whatever they were doing last year at LSU, something clicked, whatever it was, it was not just good. It was all time good. And I think you have to at least put your stock in that. And obviously, you know, you can't do it alone at quarterback. You have to have some guys help you out. And Jefferson was one of those guys along with Hilaire. They were, they were very, very capable last year and they were a big part of Joe Burrow's success as well. So I don't want to discount their talent either. Yeah, I, I I just think going back to Burrow, you're you're finding you're finding the narrative to last twenty years in drafted in the first round, then the players that you've picked out like Joe Montana and Brett Favre, and of course Tom Brady. There, I mean, it is a litany long list of of first round quarterbacks that were taken. I, I would guess in the last. 10, 20 years, 30 or 40 guys that didn't even come close to panning Well, what out. do and all so, those, yes. what do those guys have in common too? Like the, the young quarterbacks who were successful, who were drafted early, they all have in common. You just basically did it, which is good coaching. So it depends on what you think here of <laughs> the Cincinnati Bengals coaching situation. Well, I, I don't, I, Zach Taylor, I, I, don't I don't have an know. indictment on them. I'm not really sure. It's I don't just, have, I don't think we have it, an it answer. Would not, it would not shock me at all to see Joe Burrow not work out. It just, it just, no, wouldn't I surprise, can, I, it wouldn't surprise me because it would shock me to see Trevor Lawrence not work out. I've seen Trevor Lawrence now for two years. I'm going to get to see him another year at Clemson. Uh, I mean, look, Burrow did it in the toughest conference in football. He did it at the highest level and in the biggest games. He, he, the he, he played the best. Absolutely true. But see, that's, for that one, was but for one year, right? No, you're absolutely right. But that to me was the difference. The, I was, I'm kind of like you. I'm always way more skeptical and I'm way more in the prove it to me. You're even worse than me. You make me look like an easy mark. You're a very tough grade. But when he plays so well against Clemson, when he plays so well against Alabama, to me, against those defenses, when you're able to look as good as he did, it's, I, it's absolutely that was, true. That was but why I tend to be more positive. No, you're right. Look, but and, and why maybe, I tend to be more positive. Maybe it ends, yeah, and maybe it ends up working out uh, to that degree. But, you know, I'm not, I just can't be certain. Um, okay, now let's uh, take a look at Justin Jefferson's uh, touchdown totals for the season. Five and a half is the number at FanDuel, plus 108. Uh, the under is minus 136, which you know clearly is the, the way that the chalk is leaning right now, but there's not a lot of value on that under. He had 18 touchdowns last year in 15 games, including during the playoffs. He was fantastic. And then six touchdowns the year before that. So, uh, look, I mean, I, the value here is on the over. I kind of feel the same way as I did with Ruggs, although I don't love it nearly as much because Ruggs is catching the ball and running 40 yards and no one's touching him. Jefferson is not that kind of guy, but he does provide a big target in the end zone, and maybe he becomes that red zone target for Cousins this year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not impossible, but I think everything with Jefferson is a stay away because – Kirk Cousins. And I think when you get into the red zone, too, it's he always tends to look for guys like Kyle Rudolph. And if you and you're the one of these people, too, that thinks Irv Smith has a chance to take another step forward this year. You know, why do you draft Irv Smith when you have Kyle Rudolph? I, that was that was a pick last year that made no sense to me. And then on top of that, and then they signed Rudolph to an extension. And I just 
I continue to say, what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? I don't understand what's the concept here. There's so many other needs. So, I mean, I have to assume Irv Smith is going to be part of this. And if he is, then that means that this five and a half is another number where, I don't know, I would, I would tend to stay away from it or go under personally. I just, I think a lot of the touchdowns are going to be from Dalvin Cook. And if it's not from Dalvin Cook, then it's going to be Madison. It's going to be Thielen. It's going to be the tight ends. Personally, that's where I see this going. But I mean, five and a half, five, six is achievable. But I don't know, man. I think the under is a better bet. But uh, it just feels like Jefferson is a stay away. But I will say this. In fantasy drafts, I think he's going to be a very good value where I would draft him because he's dirt cheap. And I would wait and see what he is. And if he where gets is he off, going right now in those uh, ADP, I can go. I will check on the ADP of him right now. But I think the best course of action is to draft him. What are the what's the order of the guys that are going in all these wide for the rookies? We can go back and take that. I have to pull that up on a different thing. I can't pull it up when we have the Skype open here for the show. Uh, But basically, I think the path is you take this guy. If he gets off to a good start, I would flip him immediately because it's only a matter of time because we all know what Kirk Cousins is going to do. It's going to be fluctuation. I mean, I don't want to be negative about him, but it's just it's just honest. When you look at the game logs, when you look month to month, year to year, same old thing with Cousins. So if there is a hot start for Jefferson, man, I would be really tempted to package him and try to move him to another piece. Again, you can't do that best ball. That's what I'm saying in the regular drafts. If he's going later, I would definitely take a flyer on him. If he doesn't get off to a good start, you drop him and pick up somebody else too. No harm, no foul. But the opportunity is there. Yep, and uh, and we'll keep an eye on on where he's going in some of the early drafts for sure in fantasy. But before we take a break, I want to remind you guys, those of you who are following our YouTube channel, Sports Grid, we now have a brand new channel, which is Sports Grid Radio. We have shows broadcasting overnight on SB Nation Radio and also broadcasting over on YouTube. So make sure you catch our channel there. Scott Farrell, Coast to Coast, is on Every single day uh, during the day live here on Sports Grid and also overnight as well on SB Nation Radio. So make sure you catch all of his shows as well. All of our ch- all of our shows eventually uh, are headed on the radio <laughs> side. It's kind of funny how we started radio, yeah. went to TV, and now sort of going back to radio Full as circle. well. I have so your number uh, too, by the way. Where he's, <laughs> go ahead. He's, at, he's at 135 overall. That's the number. So the names around there are guys like Brashad Perryman and Henry Ruggs. Uh, and then you've got the Sammy Watkins of the world and Mecole Hardman. Now, Mecole Hardman's another guy, too. Another boomer bust weekly pick, but that's another guy that, man, him and Tyreek Hill on the field at the same time together is a scary notion. But there's some value there in wide receivers later in drafts once you get past the 100s. All right, coming up next, we will preview tonight's MLB draft. Stay tuned. More Sports Grid coming up. This is Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away. Sports today, Craig Mish and Joe Pizapia. A little bit later on tonight, we're going to have a condensed version of the 2020 Major League Baseball draft. And I remember this time last year, I was sitting at Marlins Park and sitting, I believe it was in the uh, in the downstairs media room and and waiting for the Marlins to make their pick. We were all sitting around, probably about 15, 20 of us, TV, radio. They had the uh, in the in the media area. They had a big TV on, so we were watching the draft as it went. And I remember Adley Rutschman being taken first, and then I remember the Marlins coming up and uh, and taking JJ Bladé from Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. And they went on to make you know many other picks as well. And I remember covering it that day, thinking, "Wow, like this is pretty cool. Like the draft is really, you know, starting to become more of a bigger deal. And it's a much bigger deal, I think, for teams like the Orioles and teams like the Tigers, the Marlins, and the Royals." than it is, of course, for some other teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers. Because, you know, when you're dra- there's no certainty in any of this. And the baseball draft in particular, there's really no certainty. Uh, but but I, I really have enjoyed it through the years. And I think that the awareness from places like MLB Pipeline and Baseball Prospectus and all of the other great prospect writing uh, areas have basically morphed themselves into, you know, sort of scouting sites, too, for all right. these kids and high school and in college. And so um, I, I have heard of a lot of the kids who were taken in the first and even some of the second round. I can't say that I have watched game after game of, of these kids 
And so I'm essentially uh, relying on the scouting departments of Major League Baseball teams. That's kind of good enough for me. I mean, they're going to be much better than I am any day of the week. But I am looking forward to see, in particular, to see who the Marlins take tonight. Uh, and then more so the career of Spencer Torkelson, who is, is going to be the first overall pick. And then just kind of, you know, is he going to be the next Votto? Or is he going to be the next Dan Vogelbach? Like, it's, it's tough. Like, <laughs> you just don't know with these kids. No, you don't. And uh, I know people like to put comps on, so I try to give you a couple here of, you know, what my comps would be. And it's funny because this first one I kind of struggle with because he's kind of his own guy in a way. And the only one that I came up with is the same guy who went early last year, which is Andrew Vaughn, the same kind of makeup, like physically and statistically wise. And but who's I, Vaughn's comp? I mean, I, well, I that's exactly like stuff. you got to go back to him. But and that was the funny thing. So I asked I, I asked my prospect, I asked the Welsh, I said, hey, listen, I had a hard time here coming up with another comp. He said, I said, who's the best guy here for Torkelson? He goes, Andrew Vaughn. <laughs> I, said, I said the same thing you did. Well, who's the comp for Andrew Vaughn? And he kind of said the same thing, which I'm alluding to, which is these guys are kind of a, a new type in baseball. I mean, he's a 6'1", 2, you know, 15 kind of guy who yeah. has opposite field power. This is a guy, Torkelson, that – you know, obviously you never know how guys are going to, you know, make or break when they go from the metal bats to the wooden bats. Sometimes that can impact guys as well. But what struck me about Torkelson, too, is that opposite field power. It was the same thing that Vaughn showed. And body type-wise, too, he is a very – look, he's not your prototypical 6'4 first baseman. Like, he's 6'1", he's right-handed, a little bit <clears throat> on the smaller side in terms of what you would normally think out of this. But you would not think that with the bat because with the bat – it plays. Now, I know we only played 17 college games this year, and looking at the stats there, obviously it's not a lot over there at Arizona. So, uh, look, the power, you know, he's got 20-plus home runs a couple years in a row there in college baseball. <clears throat> this has been the consensus guy. I know everyone I've talked to said this guy's the real deal. He's also kind of a the new world baseball athlete. You know, we're used to some of these guys kind of fitting in a mold, but I feel like he's part of this new mold of these guys who are – you know, in really fantastic shape, guys who almost like kind of maybe a bigger Alex Bregman. It's the only other way I can say it in terms of a muscularity because he's a little bit bigger frame than him. But this is a guy playing first base. I don't know if he's going to stick at first base. I wouldn't be shocked if he moved to the outfield looking and watching him play a little bit because he's a very a good athlete. I think he uh, up being a DH. It's possible, especially if you end up with DH in the American and National League both. I think that opens things up oh, there yeah, for guys like him. Happened. Yeah. So I, 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 there's I, it's definitely hard, it's hard to say with any of these guys. And again, um, look, there, there's no question that this kid is going to hit a lot of home runs in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt. But what else? I, that's what no one is sure about. Can no. he defend? Can he can he get on base? Can he hit for average? Nobody knows. Uh, I mean, you don't want to throw Adam Dunn on a guy like you just you don't well, know. He's, but he's not that kind. Like he is not. See, the thing with Adam Dunn is you're talking about a very big guy with a huge yeah, strike zone. Yeah, he's not big. He's he doesn't have six. that same strike zone. He's a 6'1 player, does not have the same strike zone, is quick to the path. Like I said, the thing that always jumps off to me is when you watch a guy hit and you watch him hit these home runs. I've seen him hit these, you know, light tower shots sometimes and pull the ball, but I've also seen him go opposite field a lot. And that's that was getting me excited about a player. And I think that's why scouts look at Torkelson and see the number one overall pick because you see that oppo power and you don't know. It's not an exact science. I mean, I remember playing with guys that played with Mark Kotze in college. And I remember every one of them told me, Mark Kotze is the best baseball player I've ever played with in my whole life. And it was more than one of them told me this. And Mark Kotze went on to have a very long career. But Mark Kotze didn't become <laughs> – at one point he was the consensus best college player. But he was not, uh, I would say, ever the best player on his own team. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Kotze ended up playing for what, like 17 years or something like that in the big leagues. He had a long career, a very good player, very useful player. But I think because it's not an exact science, you don't know how these guys transition from the metal to the wood, better pitching, all these other things. All you can do is look at the player. Is he been productive? Yes. Has he shown you a lot of good skill set? Yes, he does. I just think defensively, like you said, I'm not sold on him as a first baseman from what I watched him play and saw some of the footage today. I think it's one of those things where you would you would probably be more inclined to see him end up maybe as a left fielder because he is an athletic kid. He does have good feet. But uh, I don't know if right-handed first baseman, you got to be really good or just so dominant with the bat <laughs> that you can do that. And maybe he will be. We'll find out. All right. Well, uh, the second pick in the draft, there seems to be a little bit of a mystery. It, it was it was thought for a long time that Austin Martin was a shoe in uh, to be taken with the second pick overall in the draft. But at, at least over the last few days, 
there's some discussion that the Orioles are trying to save some money so they can spend some other things about. They could either go to college and it's going to require millions to you know, make them play. And so if the Orioles chose to do that, and basically what that's called is signing a player for under slot, they would go significantly under slot, make a kid the second pick in the draft, and then spend some of that money in the second round, which is certainly possible. Uh, but the consensus at the time that most of the mock drafts were done was that Austin Martin was going to be the second overall pick in the draft from Vanderbilt University. And this is a kid with... Uh, you know, high motor, very good uh, level of intelligence, really good player at Vanderbilt. But the question becomes, do the Orioles pass on him? And then at that point, do the Marlins pass on him as well? And this could be the one name to watch tonight because I think that there's a chance if he's not taken second overall, I'm not sure that he doesn't slip even further than, than uh, third or fourth. Yeah, uh, look, the one thing I hate is every time, you know, every time you watch this draft coverage, everybody always wants to put like, this mind-blowingly Hall of Fame comp on somebody. And not every player is like that. Like, some guys are going to be Shannon Stewart. Some guys are going to be Trot Nixon. Like, and those, that's fine. Like, they're, you know, like, those are big league players. When I was watching him, he reminded me of Jason Worth a little bit. And Jason Worth had a very good career. And it was in terms of, like, a, a longer, you know, guy in terms of height, in terms of body type. He's going to fill out a little bit. Uh, but the track record's very good at Vanderbilt with turning out some very good players, especially on the pitching side. And... I look at him and I kind of see like a, a younger version of Jason Worth. And if a team ends up with Austin Martin and uh, again, an infield version in terms of that, like I said, from the, from the batting, at least that's what he reminds me of infield wise. Look, you know, it's, it's a matter of when you get these guys, what kind of range do they have? Uh, what are the, what's the footwork like? What's the arm like? And sometimes these guys move around, but to me, that's the guy he reminded me of. I don't know if there's a guy when you watch him hit that he reminded you of at all that, that kind of came to mind because I think, there's nothing wrong with, you know, taking a second overall pick and it turning out to be a player of the caliber offensively of Jason Worth, because that's a pretty useful player. Yeah, it's a, he's a you know 20 home run guy, 80, 90 RBI guy. I think that that's, that's it. possible. <laughs> um, you know, and, and again, the, the question is, is that because of his pedigree and playing at Vanderbilt and playing at such a high level for a long period of time, um, does that make him, you know, sort of projectable to be an everyday player in the big leagues? And when you think about the second pick in the draft, of course you want a superstar. But look, some other teams are just like, hey, give me a big league player who we know we can count on for the next decade. And that could be uh, Austin Martin. Uh, now, uh, third overall is, of course, the Miami Marlins. And basically every uh, mock draft has them taking this next kid, Asa Lacey, uh, pitcher, left-handed pitcher from Texas A&M. Uh, there was, you know, some rumblings, you know, similar to the NFL draft. Oh, Lacey's going to be the number one overall pick in the draft. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that he is going to be uh, three overall regardless. I think the Marlins have basically looked at him and targeted him for a while. Uh, they're looking for uh, pitching in this draft. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that from factual uh, information that I know. So it wouldn't I, – I would say, look, certainly anything can happen and I can change – my opinion at any time going up until the draft tonight, but from the, most of the indications that I've uh, that I've had, I think Lacey is their pick. Yeah, and look, college pitchers are the way to go. They're a better investment. They tend to get to the big leagues sooner and actually pitch better in the big leagues. Uh, they have a much higher success rate than high school pitchers. And the comp that I was looking at when I was watching him is Al Leiter. And it was funny because another guy that, you know, at one point was a Marlin. But same thing, a left-handed guy who has a really downward trajectory, really forward trajectory with his windup, with his finish. And that, to me, when I'm looking at a pitcher, you always try to say, OK, who who kind of had that same similar delivery that you saw have success in the big leagues? And Leiter did. Leiter had a fantastic major league career, won a ton of games, pitched in a lot of big games and a big moments. And if they can get that kind of pitcher here, that'd be huge. But if he you know, um, for some reason did not work out. The other guy he reminded me of in terms of attacking and the downward motion is Kimbrell has a lot of that in his, his wind up as well in terms of finish. So these are two guys that finish really forward in terms of where the ball goes and that downward trajectory of the ball. And that's what makes them as really tough southpaws to hit. Uh, but I think lighter as a starter. And if he ended up somehow as a closer, then I think that Kimbrell would be a good comp, which would be, you'd be a fantastic potential closer. And you never know nowadays with major league baseball, how organizations value different guys differently in different roles. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it ended up being Kimbrell, this would be a disaster, but you know, they, uh, you know, obviously are looking for a starting pitcher here. So right. We'll oh, I know. With, uh, I know. We'll stick without lighter. Um, and then uh, finally, Zach Veen. Now we're going to high school here, so there's probably not a lot of familiarity uh, for a lot of people who are watching. But if he is taken tonight, then in the first five picks, and certainly you can remember that we discussed this 
uh, if you want to dare throw uh, the name that you have no, and, and not, as a comparison, then, no, I'm, no. Then, then you go ahead and do no, that. No, no. Save what this I, little I, clip of video. It would no, be a you bad say, idea. No, no, no. Because right it's, not, it's not about the same player. He's not Bryce Harper. What I The reason why I put this in the sheet is the finish. Easy. No, the fini- there's two things that remind me of Harper-esque. He has the same finish and swing plane. He also finishes very high of that left-handed swing. So in terms of follow-through, in terms of hands, in terms of all that stuff, the swing is Bryce Harper light and kind of like Bryce Harper too, especially earlier in his career when he was a younger player, you could beat him with high fastballs. And that's the one thing I see with Zach Veen. So he is in no way the comp of Bryce Harper. If so, we wouldn't be having this discussion here as the last the guy on this list. He'll be the, first, be the first, first pick with a bullet. But what I'm talking about is, you know, picking out things where you say, okay, the swing path, the finish, it's very Harper-esque. It's the same kind of path. And he has the same kind of negative that Harper had early on. And as a young kid, you never know where these guys are going to go from there. But I think that in terms of what he looks like, just to give you a visual, if you haven't seen him play, that's the visual of the swing. And with that, we'll take a quick timeout on Fantasy Sports Today. Do you guys remember the 2019 MLB draft? Well, some players are making some progress there in baseball. When could we see some of the top picks? Joe and I will discuss that next here on Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. The 2019 draft from at least people I've spoken to pales in comparison to the 2020 draft. There is a ton of talent in tonight's draft. That's not to say that there wasn't in last year's draft, but there were only really a handful of picks that were sort of certainties. And by the way, there is a ton more pitching in tonight's draft, and it will, it's not even close to what it was last year. Mm-hmm. So from a fantasy perspective, this is the draft tonight to have dynasty picks in. Last year's draft, um, yeah, I mean, I, I still think it's a solid draft, but when I look back on it now, we're going to be waiting years for, I think, potentially maybe even the two best players out of this draft to even get to the big leagues because a couple of them were hitters and they were in high school. But as you could see through the first 10, 15, even 20 picks, not many pitchers taken. That yeah. is going to change in tonight's draft. Yeah, only one pitcher taken in the top 10 last year. That one was Nick Lodolo. Uh, by the Cincinnati Reds, uh, so that was it, just one out of TCU. So it was one guy, he was a college pitcher, and that's a rarity. You, <laughs> in the first 10 picks, only one pitcher. Usually people are fighting over one or two of the college pitchers, and usually sometimes even a high school phenom guy. So it was a bit of an anomaly, but there were some really good offensive players, at least uh, early on this draft. And I thought it would be fun to kind of look and see how they did last year, because we might not get a look at them this year. <laughs> that's what those might? We're not. <laughs> You know, right? Exactly. No matter what, I, mean, I, I mean, no matter what, I don't think we're. Gonna, <laughs> no, I mean, well, I mean, I take it back. I mean, when they get this figured out, they're going to have all these kids report, I think, right. again to their spring training complexes and they'll play in uh, in like inner squad games of, or something like that. But that's or the maybe only they, thing. Or maybe, or, by the way, maybe they even won't. I don't know. I, I'm all not right. really even sure that they'll do that for sure. Uh, by the way, going back to Nick Lodolo for a minute, uh, Nick Lodolo, really good pitcher, but. From my understanding, in tonight's draft, there are uh, five Nicoladolos and maybe five better right. than Nicoladolos in the first round. So just something to keep an eye on. Lodolo was uh, the first pitcher taken in this draft essentially because he was the best of what was out there. But there are far superior uh, pitchers than, and talented pitchers that are in tonight's draft. And that happens. Uh, the draft can be cyclical. You know, you have a great pitcher draft. You have a bad pitcher draft. You know, all of a sudden you have a... I remember there's one draft a few years ago. It was like, all these shortstops. You're like, wow, look at all these shortstops. And and that happens sometimes, too, because sometimes the best athlete on the team ends up right. playing certain positions. And then as they get to Major League Baseball, they go, eh, you know what? You're a really good athlete, but you know what? You don't have the arm for shortstop. You're going to be a third baseman. You're going to be a second baseman. You're going to change things around. You don't have the footwork for this. So, you know, that tends to change. And Adley Rushman, obviously, the first guy taken was a catcher, which... You know, I don't know. Maybe I still have the tire marks from the Matt Weeders era. 
or something like that in Baltimore. Yeah, I don't and know. it's the Orioles again too. But uh, but, I, but I, I don't know, most man. Most people, it's most people that I've talked to, have no concerns with this guy whatsoever, and think well, he's look, a star. So he played 37 I'm, games last year, and that was you between. You can't real... go off any of this stuff, though. I mean, this is no, you can't. I'm just like checking in to see like how he fared, and because sometimes you see like little glimpses there early on, and and it is difficult too because these guys are coming off college seasons, and then exactly. you know they're kind of burnt out, and they don't know. You know, they're they're way past. But sometimes guys show you a little bit at a young age at rookie ball or a ball and it's something already to get excited about so i just think it'd be fun to check in and see where these guys are at uh between rookie ball low a and regular a ball he played 37 games last year hit 254 four home runs 26 rbi and a 774 ops and i think that is a pretty good start i think that's what you're looking for for a guy over 40 games basically of getting his feet wet in professional baseball after a long year of college baseball and i don't think there's anything wrong with that. And actually, I think this is one of the more positive guys on this list. Um, are you somebody that thinks that Rutschman, regardless, is a piece that you want to own in Dynasty Leagues? Yeah, mo- most of the people who I talk to say that this guy is a surefire stud, that that you're not going to be disappointed with this player. Because we um, haven't had a lot of young catching talent. Like, you know, like we had, like Piazza was great as a rookie. No, we haven't had but, any. But JT really, Real Muto is the only one. Yeah, but like even JT, I would say... Would you say like Splash is a rookie or a young player? He kind of came oh, no. on. No, he, no, he didn't. He, it he took didn't him a splash. few years. Yeah, yeah, like that's what I mean. Like Weeders was the last big ticket catcher I remember. Well, like this is going to be the next Piazza type guy, next Javi so. Lopez type guy. And gosh, we haven't seen it. <laughs> you know, or what happens is they're so good at catcher, they get moved off to another position because they want to take away the wear and tear or they want to make sure their bats in the lineup every single day. And that's fair as well. That is something that tends to happen. So we'll see what happens. with. I, I mean, I can, I can only go by the things that I, that I hear about these players individually. Oh, sure. Well, and, that's important. Um, and, and I can tell you that uh, outside Rutschman seems to be the most sure thing of all of them. And then every other player has like discussion points of what ifs and possibilities, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I, I think, by the way, Rutschman has less uh, you, you'd worry less about Rutschman than you would about Torkelson, actually. So I think at least from from I, I can I, I actually would agree with that <laughs> from, from what I've the seen. The draft is deeper, but I think that the first, second, third picks are sort of interchangeable this year. I would agree with that statement as well. Uh, the next uh, was last year. Number two overall pick was the Kansas City Royals taking Bobby Witt Jr., and uh, shortstop, who is actually going to stay at shortstop. <laughs> you know, talking about some of those guys that move off. No, this kid's not moving off there. He is a fantastic young shortstop. At rookie ball last year, 37 games. He had 262, held his own there. Uh, stole nine bases. Again, power will come. He's still a smaller guy in terms of frame. He's only 19 years old, so he's going to fill out over time. But this is a player, again, uh, people are looking at him as going to be a very good defensive player, but also a guy that's going to steal bases. And people do believe that hit tool is really going to show up. And he might never be a 30 home run guy, but he could be a, a potential 15, 25 guy down the road. And that's something that I know fantasy people get very excited about, especially at the shortstop position. Yeah, he had that epic uh, home run derby during the All-Star game um, that everybody remembers as a high schooler. <laughs> and certainly he's somebody that has an extremely high ceiling. He could be a superstar, but he's a high school player. So it's he's someone that in a year or two from now, maybe even longer because of what's right. happened. Um, you know, we'll have to check back on. But, uh, you know, looking at any stats uh, for him in particular also are almost impossible to. No, uh, to but you know what? We've seen a really good trend with the kids of major leaguers lately. I mean, you just look at all the guys in Toronto. You'll get some of these other teams where they've popped to. There has been a very positive trend where, you know, they're not Dale Barra, if you know what I mean. Like these kids have Man, really. Dale Barra, you took a shot at I Dale. Took a, I took a shot at Dale. Wow. I'm just saying, like. You know, it's tough to live up to Yogi standards, but I'm just saying, man, like these kids, you got Vlad Guerrero Jr., you got Bichette, you got Biggio all on the same team, for God's sakes. Uh, there's been some other guys, too, coming through that, you know, it seems like the instruction level, it seems like their readiness to be in the big, big leagues mentally is a very positive thing. And I think that's another thing that you can look at that trend in these younger kids and say that's a positive and Bobby Wood's dad. Was yep, a pitcher for a while with Texas Rangers and some other teams as well. Uh, number three was Andrew Vaughn. A lot of fancy people are excited about this guy. Um, you know, still, I would say blocked at the major leagues for at least the next year or two. But still, people think this guy's going to be a, a bat that flies through the system. Now, I don't know. Like you said, I think everybody's got a year of stunted growth almost. Andrew Vaughn at 55 games last year between rookie ball, A ball, and high A. Hit 278 with an 832 OPS, six home runs, and 36 RBI. 
everybody said in at the time of the draft, <clears throat> this was the quickest riser, the guy who's going to get to the big leagues first. I think that's uh, and I, maybe, maybe. And I, I think they might be right. I think, you know, it's they signed him or Bladey. It's one of those two. I like Bladey a lot. And it's funny. I argued with a lot of people. I thought a lot of Bladey. A lot of people told me I was crazy. I, was like, I don't know, man. This kid seems like a pretty darn good player to me. But Andrew Vaughn, you know, I feel like the Encarnacion role, eventually maybe Jose Abreu will settle into that or Andrew Vaughn will settle into that, one of the two. And that'll open up a path for playing time probably at some point in 2021. It's not going to be this year, obviously. but Maybe so. But, you know, again, there's there's also, I know it sounds crazy, but there's also that chance that, hey, look, short season and there will be some sort of trade deadline, Joe, and the White Sox are kicking you-know-what. And then all of a sudden some team comes in and says uh, – you know, free agent pitcher to be, I guess we'd have to look at that list for, again. Well, we just did the, uh, well, we said it, Trevor Bauer and Marcus Stroman were the only two. Okay, so th- so throw Trevor Bauer. Oh, you can get Trevor Bauer. Would you give up Vaughn to try to win a World Series in a short game? Probably not. not. Probably not. In I mean, most teams wouldn't make a trade for 80 games, let alone 20. But um, but Vaughn is the name that uh, I would believe that eventually he'd be with the White Sox. But again, with the development of everything that's going on, it's uh, it's really tough. Uh, Bladé played at the highest level, essentially. I know that Vaughn played at high A at the end. They they threw J.J. Bladé and high A Jupiter yep. almost immediately. So, um, and he you know, wasn't Marlis bad. Took, <laughs> he was okay. The, the Mar- and he went all the way through the College World Series, and they won, too. They mm-hmm. have uh, no outfielders, Joe, you know, essentially. I mean, it looks like they have a lot, but all, they have a lot of, of really not. So uh, I think that he could be their starting right fielder. He could be their starting left fielder. You know, they have Dickerson on a two-year deal, which now looks like a one-year deal. Uh, VR is in center field, maybe. Let's side. Bladé's well, got VR, a path. But path with too. VR, you have flexibility. He, you know, he can play all over the diamond. So. Well, he's gone after this year anyway. So it doesn't make a yeah, difference. exactly. So Bladé, you know, if they didn't want to bring him back, I'm just It'll saying. It'll be Bladé or Vaughn will make their the debut first. One of those two guys will make the I debut. would agree with that. My money's on Vaughn. I think that's the guy that's good because I think that the White Sox are going to press to be good. And if he can contribute to that team. And look, they've already shown you they're willing to go out there and pay guys and put them up there in the major league level. So, I mean, they've done it two years in a row now, so it wouldn't shock me to do it next year too. They did it with Robert, which I'm sure they're regretting now. <laughs> and they they did it obviously the year before with Eloy Jimenez. Uh, but Blade to me, I thought you hit 257 with three home runs and 19 RBI at high A at his age. I think that's a good start considering the wear and tear. And the last guy, number five overall last year was Riley Green. 57 games between rookie ball, low A and A ball to come through and hit. I mean, the Tigers need Riley Green, and I think he showed you why they're so excited about him. And I know he's only a high school player, but he seems like a high school player that might get there sooner than we think. Well, his numbers were fantastic at low A. I think he hit yeah. 400, and then I think he hit like a buck 80 or, or something like that at high A. So a little bit of a mixed result there, but he was unstoppable at the lower levels. Uh, you know, certainly there's a chance that this could uh, kid could be a superstar. There are people that I've spoken to that think Riley Green and then C.J. Abrams. And by the way, C.J. Abrams has a chance to be the best player in the entire draft in the future. So uh, he absolutely pounded minor league pitching when he got his opportunity. There are people that I've spoken to have told me that Abrams has the highest ceiling of anybody in the draft, too. Uh, I think Green is sort of in that category as well. It's just that with very little to go on, of of course, in high school, you're going to throw a dart. You're going to take that chance. But uh, put your money on Abrams, I think, at least. Well, it's just where is he going to play? Because where is he going to play? Is he going to play the left side of the infield? Because In two that's... years, three years, four years? We'll figure that out. I don't know. You got Tatis, <laughs> that, that stuff you got Machado. Gets sorted I'm just saying, you got yeah, it gets Machado and Tatis there. So. Yeah, put Tatis in center field. That stuff gets sorted out. <laughs> they, they figure it out. That's, let them worry about it. Let A.J. Preller, if he's still there, uh, figure, figure that out. Uh, not me. All right. Uh, coming up next, we uh, we close out with some news in Major League Baseball. And then, of course, uh, one o'clock Eastern, we are done. But don't uh, fret tomorrow. Joe and I will be right back here at 11 a.m. Eastern for our next edition of Fantasy Sports Today, which is going to include a recap of the first few picks of tonight's MLB draft. We'll also have Matt Sells on the show previewing, uh, recapping Wednesday night's NASCAR, uh, talking about uh, the uh, upcoming race uh, this weekend as well. And then, of course, Gray Albright will join us on Friday. You're watching Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe, we're back for a final segment right after this. Don't go away.
And welcome back. As our life gets toward more normalcy, we have a baseball draft. We have NASCAR this weekend. And the other thing, Joe, that's coming back is golf. The Charles Schwab Challenge is coming up soon here. And seven of the top players in the world are going to be playing, including Phil Mickelson and Rory McIlroy and uh, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka, uh, Dustin Johnson. And so Another fix for people who want to get their sports on. We got more coming back this week, and slowly but surely, we're starting to have a lot more to pay attention to, which is a good thing. Yeah, as I said a few weeks ago here in New Jersey, golf courses opened up, and what I was really surprised about. But I mean, it does make sense, and the, they had different rules in place. Of you know, you had to go, I think, one person at a time. There was no even twosomes. Like if you wanted to play, you're basically on your own, which is funny because that's the way I prefer to play. I'd rather just get out there in the cart and go play on my own and be out there. Uh, but it is really? helpful to you have a couple people you like to play with. That's good because they can follow the ball for you when you hit it into the brush. And that's that's useful as well. I miss playing golf, to tell you the truth. Uh, I used to play a fair amount, and then I had kids, and then that tapered off dramatically in the last three or four years. I can tell you, I haven't been out in a golf course, unfortunately, in a while. But I'm curious, do you play or have you played recently? Yeah, I, I mean, nothing recently, but um, my son is, he takes golf lessons and, oh, really? and and got pretty good at six and, and seven years old. He, he mm-hmm. takes lessons from someone and, uh, and he enjoyed the lessons so much that we took like family group lessons where we bought a package and we all went out there. We all, you know, went to the driving range and, and started putting and it, you know, we did it for a couple of months. We paid for a couple of months of lessons. It was pretty cool. I think it's something maybe that we would go back and do again. Uh, I have I have a set of clubs I've never been good, and it, it, I mean I wouldn't say I'm embarrassingly bad, but I mean it's it's pretty much my my fear is always with golf is that I'm gonna get out there and there's gonna be people like waiting playing behind us like going oh my gosh like this guy's so bad like it's, no that's fair that's forever. fair and 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 that's and that's kind of why I never like you know sort of took the next step but. Um, you know, I, I really love the sport. I enjoy uh, watching it. I've enjoyed the tournaments that they've had here in South Florida for many mm-hmm. years. They've had the Honda Classic once upon a time. They had uh, the big tournament in Doral, which Tiger Woods won uh, as well. It was a lot of fun to go to and, and seeing the, the Green Monster or the Blue Monster, excuse me. <laughs> you know, the Blue Monster. That's okay. It's weird, wishful Freudian slip there of having baseball. A lot, a lot of a lot of fun. And so, uh, but but more than anything, it's not so much about golf, I guess, for me at this point. It's about I'm glad that they're playing, you know, I'm glad. Yeah, absolutely. So playing. So uh, just briefly, for those of you who are thinking about getting down on any of this this weekend, certainly uh, Joe or I, Joe and I are not the golf experts here, but let's at least show you what the odds are here. Rory McIlroy is the favorite at eight to one. John Rahm is 12 to one. Justin Thomas is 16 to one. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau is 22 to one. Brooks Kepka. Uh, at 25 to one. And then everyone else pretty much after that is, is a long shot. Although uh, Webb Simpson, is 25 to one as well. Dustin Johnson, 28 to one. Patrick Reed, 28 to one. And Jordan Spieth is 32 to one. And uh, uh, Brett, our producer, told us that this tournament is in Texas. And so potentially that gives Jordan Spieth uh, somewhat of an edge. But I can tell you this, he wouldn't be 32 to one if he had any kind of edge going into this thing. He's a pretty much a big long shot here in this one. But uh, Phil, Phil Mickelson will play in this. And, uh, and Joe, I think that this is important. I think that it doesn't need to be super competitive. It doesn't need to be something that everybody in the world is watching, but we do need to gain some sort of sense of normalcy Agreed. with professional sports because yeah. that's going to make people feel better about what's going on. And I think that we need that. Now, there won't be a gallery there, correct? Like there won't be crowds. No, so, I don't know. Right? As far as I understand, there's no fans. At all. Yeah, that's what I imagine, too. And I've been saying this for a while. I mean, I feel like getting sports back on TV is paramount. Getting people back into ballparks or back into galleries or, or what have you is secondary. And that will come in time uh, with safety regulations and just with time. And I know it's very difficult. It's hard for people to wait. But I think getting sports on TV just really helps everybody, not just the fantasy community, but like just just everybody like, hey, you could sit down on Sunday afternoon and watch the last, you know, the round of a golf tournament. And I think that's fun. I used to watch a ton of golf during the height of the Tiger Woods era, like so many people in those battles with Mickelson. And that's when I was playing a lot. And uh, I do miss it. My neighbor plays well, he plays actually like not semi-pro, but he's good enough to do that. Like he goes and plays for money on the weekends, basically, in some of these small tournaments and stuff. So I guess that is semi-pro in a way. But uh, I'm always afraid to go out golfing with him because I think I'm OK, but I haven't played in so long. 
I would want to hold him up. So you're worried about holding up the people behind you. I don't want to go play, even though I get invited. I'm like, oh, I guess I, I could go, but then I don't want to like be next to you. Like you're really good. <laughs> and even, and even that's amazing too. When you realize when you play with somebody really good and then you realize how much better all the people are who play professional golf, that is stunning. Cause when you play with somebody who's really good, you watch them. You're like, wow. You're really good at golf, <laughs> and it's not even close when you talk about the pros. And, um, you know, that Tiger Woods era was just incredible for me. I remember, you know, just – I even got my dad watching. Like, I would never watch golf, but he would watch yeah, when well, he Tiger transcended Woods the game. There was, it did. There was nobody like him. Yeah. It did. I, and I hope that golf has some more folks kind of come through the sport in the next few years to kind of bring that back because I think when golf is – you know, transcended. It's a good thing for all the sports world. And no, would you agree with that? Great, I've had great golf without Tiger Woods. It's just that it's it's like saying that boxing is bad because Mike Tyson is not there. That's not that's not good analysis. Oh, I'm not saying it's, it's bad. Oh no no, I never said it was there, bad. There, there are great not... players that are playing. It's just that when you have a personality mm-hmm. and an African American personality like Tiger Woods, it just right. really made people pay attention. And so. Um, you know, maybe maybe that's what it's more about. Maybe a little bit of a competition between two golfers like Mickelson and Woods had. But, you know, certainly, again, Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, there are some great players that are on the tour uh, to this day. And Oh, absolutely. I, Without a doubt. Yeah. It just I wish I wish I got the same national attention. No, it's not it going to. It's impossible. Others. It's like I it wish. Is. You know, it, it's but even before hoping Tiger Woods, for something that's not possible. It's, right. But even before. T- well, I never say impossible. You're really always guys. So you go. Anything's possible in sports. So it, it, it is say. certainly possible that someone comes along and is as or more popular than Tiger Woods. But it would seem to be pretty unlikely. That's well, great. I think we had the Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer eras and we had, you know, these great, you know, figureheads of the sport. And I don't know if. I mean, would you say Dustin Johnson is that figurehead now? Is that the guy? They really don't have one. I don't and that's know. what I'm getting at is like when you have to think about it, you don't have one. So I think it would be good for golf to have a figurehead because then you can create rivalries off of that. And I think that's always good for sports. When Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan, he had plenty of rivalries with other teams and other superstars. And I think that's always good for the sport. So um, that that's all I'm saying. It's not that the, the level of golf isn't good. Of course, it's brilliant. It's probably the best it's ever been. But at the same time, you Woods, know, you Woods was probably the most popular golfer of all time. Probably, but it was also the era he's not where the best, but he's the most popular. Yeah, he was on trajectory to be the best, but unfortunately, that did not go to plan. But at one point, he was on that he was on that path for sure. Right. So, well, here's somebody who was the best of all time, um, Jameis Winston. That's true. <laughs> I just saw Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston told Bleacher Report that. Uh, day in, quote, day in and day out without publicly coming in and saying it, that historically I'm one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. So, listen, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> Jameis Winston. Hey, he did lead the league in uh, interceptions last year. <laughs> Look, I think Winston's got some talent. I think I think should anything happen to Drew Brees, there's a unique opportunity there where I think that the Saints offense will continue to roll. The problem is – you know, Winston is always mistake prone. That's the problem. So, uh, look, I don't know if I'm ready to completely give up on Winston, but at the same time, I think making statements like that just seems kind of foolish. You know, I just, if you were, then why isn't everybody looking to get you as a starting quarterback this year, James? I mean, that's that's my problem. And I, here we are, still waiting for Cam Newton too. I mean, we are now into June, and we thought this. Yeah, would be well, I mean, well, now there's really no excuse because. Uh, yesterday it was reported that Todd Gurley took his physical and passed. So that means that to me that Cam Newton could take a physical for somebody if he really needed to, or he could do something. Yeah. And the NFL already said July, they're opening up a lot of the facilities in order for a lot of these things to happen and a lot of workouts to happen and things of that nature. So you could see already NFL's got their eye on July and things are starting to move in that direction. So TikTok, where's Cam Newton? Is he going to sit out an entire season? I can't imagine that. How do you have an MVP quarterback sitting out there when you have some of the quarterback play out there in the league right now. And I get it. I understand. There's well, a salary well, what is the, be- what is the benefit? The benefit I can imagine for him signing is as a professional football player, you have a window of time in which you can play the game. And if you are in really good shape and you posted all these workout videos, every season you don't play is one less you can play and make that giant. Right, but he's not going to play anyway, most likely unless there's an injury to some other quarterback this season. Can we agree on that? Probably, which is unfortunate. I mean, he should be right. a, so be a starter the for case, the Bears right now. He'd be the best quarterback there, but you would, Cap you would won't be, let him do not. that. So right. if that right. so, but if not, if, if that is the case, playing the other side of it, wouldn't it be maybe more to his benefit 
to play the uh, guy that we don't really know about sit out a year. I think there's a chance to be the enigma. (laughs) He could be more coveted in free agency next year than he was this year. I don't, I don't think you're waiting for a whole, I I think Cam Newton should go to TV. Oh, well, hasn't Cam Newton basically been on TV? Isn't that basically what he does now? I think he should be in broadcasting, take a year off and then come back and play. That's, that's what, that's what I would do. There's no opportunity for him. I don't think that's a bad idea, and he might end up doing and, that. And again, let's say he signs with Jacksonville. Okay, fantastic. You, I mean, again, let's play that side of it. He signs with Jacksonville. Minshew gets hurt in week three. Now what? Now he plays. It's going to be horrible. It's Jacksonville. Like, what? what's the point of that? No, look, there there were definitely some spots there where I thought there could be an opening. But, you know, I, again, Washington, I look at, and I see Haskins. I see Kyle Allen, and I say, well, if you're Ron Rivera, I mean, are you just done with Cam? I mean, you went to a Super Bowl with this guy. I was shocked that he didn't at least attempt to bring him in. Instead, he brought in the backup quarterback that he had in, in Carolina. So either right, two so things here, happened. So here he just go. didn't the, want to be Vandals. there together. I'm just saying he didn't want to be there together. Or it, it basically, it just became a situation of Cam didn't want to go play for the Redskins or or he was just done with Cam, which is fair. He waited a long time to get it. We, we really have not come up with a good idea as to why Cam should play. So that's what we've done. I guess not. So a half a, a half a game over under played for uh, Cam Newton. <laughs> right Fan now? Duel, the FanDuel Mitch Sportsbook. Under, right? <laughs> the FanDuel Mitch Sportsbook. I'm going to say under. I'm, I'm saying you. under, too. I would it put it like a good half. bet. I'm going to put it the grand dollar right now. I don't, I, I don't. I'm putting 10 grand on it. Oh! All my purple book sales, I am putting oh, it all on. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> I can't. I, the team that I can't believe, I cannot believe the Raiders did not sign this guy. I mean, that, to me, is the big upset. Like, I mean. If, That's if, another good one. But, again, it comes down to cap. Like certain teams right now, they look at the cap and like, how much would it take to bring him in? Uh, is he going to give us a better chance to win than Derek Carr? Uh, probably, but enough to make that cap move? No. And where are we going to get rid of Carr? What kind of cap hit do we take? Washington was the place that had cap room and his old coach that went to a Super Bowl with him. And if he's not bringing him in, that's either indictment on Cam Newton or just that relationship was just frayed and they just were done with each other. But that one to me was the most mind boggling because that was a situation you can go into right away, start and start to turn things around in Washington. But they ain't turned around this year, I can tell you that much. All right, we've turned around this show. The two hours are over. Thanks again to Howard Bender for coming on the program. Thanks to Brett, Ryan, and Danny for putting the program together. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Eastern with a recap of tonight's draft. For Joe Pizza P, I'm Craig Mish. I hope you guys have a great day, great night, and we'll speak to you tomorrow at 11. See ya.